Welcome to The Sound of the Hound, a podcast about the early days of recorded sound. My name's James Hall. And I'm Dave Holly. And in this series, we look at the technology, the characters and the stories behind the invention of recorded music over 120 years ago. We trace the pioneers. The dreamers. The adventurers. Who risked life and limb in their quest to bring music to the masses. And who embarked on extraordinary feats of daring do in their mission to capture sound. These people ultimately changed the way that we listen and, incidentally, spawned a multi-billion pound industry in the process. Uh, Let's explain a bit about who we are. I'm James Hall. I'm a music journalist and author. And I'm Dave Holly, and I'm a long-time music industry exec. Uh, I used to run Abbey Road Studios, and I'm now a trustee of the EMI Archive Trust. I wouldn't consider either as particularly gramophone geeks or phonograph fanatics, no. But, but what we are is obsessed with this extraordinary period of time. Uh, our episodes will feature a range of characters, but one character you'll hear about again and again is a man called Fred Geisberg, who was effectively employee number one in the UK recording industry and opened Britain's first recording studio in Covent Garden in 1898. Yeah, he really was the maestro. Yeah, he was the Steve Jobs of Victorian London. The Simon Cowell with a handlebar moustache. <laughs> So why is this podcast called The Sound of the Hound? Because we're doing it with the help of the EMI Archive Trust, which is a vast uh, music and technology archive based in Hayes. The EMI Trust celebrates the history of recorded sound and the work of the famous EMI group of companies, which include the Foundation Company, the Gramophone Company, and also HMV, his master's voice. Which is why we've named the podcast The Sound of the Hound after Nipper, the dog in the famous HMV logo. This is The Sound of the Hound. Hello, welcome to this episode of The Sound of the Hound. It's Dave Holly. And it's James Hall. As usual. This time we're talking about one of, I think, one of the most interesting characters that our friend Fred Geisberg gets to record in his early years. In fact, in his life, it's a chap called, and we've been trying to work out how best to pronounce his name. I th- I think it might be Alessandro Alessandro either Moreschi 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 M O R E S C H I. So it Moreschi probably f- sound, sounds better. And he's very in- interesting. Why? He's a castrato and we think he's the only castrato ever to be recorded he was certainly the first um because castratos were banned around this time okay can can, can i just put in a health warning here if you hear a thud that is me passing out <laughs> i am i am i'm very queasy Did, have you ever seen that film 127 hours no where yes, the guy yes, gets yes, his arm trapped yes i passed out watching it i got the yellow mist and um in front of my then 16 year old son and wife fainted and it's just anything a little bit graphic. Oh dear, David. Uh, so I, this, is, this is far, far <laughs> yeah. more disturbing than um, that. Will you explain what a castrato yes. is? okay. So, it's a man without testicles. I mean, let's not beat about the bush here. It's, um, yes. Who can sing a bit? <laughs> Who can sing a bit? So the year, is, the year of this recording was 1902, but the castratos go way, way back. Um, a little bit of history here. In the Middle Ages, the church upheld St. Paul's injunction that women keep their silence in churches. Therefore, all the female parts in a choir were sung either by boys, men with high voices, or castrated men. 
and um so he's very woke so he's very um the Sistine Chapel Choir in particular had a number of castratas and there was or there could be money in it so families would often castrate their children to put them into a choir now I have a description here of how it's done again uh, if, if you're slight, yourself, if you're slightly faint-hearted you may just want to turn the sound down for the next 30 yes, seconds okay I'm going to read a paragraph here this is from the um the rough guide to opera which gives a very um yeah description okay graphical if medical assistance could not be afforded the child's mother usually conducted the operation herself the testicles were removed by putting the patient into a bath of warm water to soften and supple the parts and make them more tractable. Then the jugular veins were pressed, making the body sorry, making the party so stupid and insensible that he fell into a kind of apoplexy. The knife was warmed before the cut was made, and opium was sometimes administered to calm the victim, despite the fact that this palliative was more likely to kill the child. <laughs> Um, castration of one's offspring was technically punishable by death or excommunication but the church was prepared to believe the stories of a childhood mishap for example an an attack by a dog a kick by a horse or most common of all a bite from a wild pig so they basically turned a blind eye Um, but a good uh, castrato um, could make an awful lot of money an awful Mm. lot of money um Apparently, by the end of the 16th century, there were 4,000 children being castrated in Italy every year. And I can report that Dave hasn't passed out, which is... uh, um, And this had a sort of slightly strange physical side of it. If you were castrated, you would... Your hair on your head would continue to grow, but you'd be bald elsewhere. They tended to be obese. I don't know why. Do you know why? No. No. I, I don't. Um, it must screw up all sorts of growth yes. and, and metabolistic things. Yeah. Yeah. The face would be inclined to a crimson corpulence and the chest would become abnormally developed, which meant that they could freakishly hold ah. their breath for very long times. Ah. Have you got more description? Because I've got a description. Oh, of go on. You go. Go, go. So this, this, is, this is how um, our friend Mureshi is described towards the end of his life. So, so in 1902, we'll get to the recordings. Yeah. He, he, he's, he's 42 or 43 at that point. But he's described by um, a German chap, whose name escapes me, when, when he was 55, so towards the end of his life. He, he's of medium or rather small stature, which, which I think goes against, goes against your most of the description. Tall, yeah. But the rest of it doesn't. He says, his likeable face is completely beardless. Mm-hmm. His chest remarkably broad and powerful. So mm-hmm. that, that, that ticks. He, this is interesting. His, his speaking voice has a metallic quality. Well, I, I imagine he's a bit like... Um, the Daleks, a little bit, you know, that kind of... <laughs> <laughs> um, and a very high-speaking tenor, so very right. high voice. His voice and demeanour make a youthful impression. And th- there is a, another... Um, Th- there's a picture of him online. He looks a bit yeah. like sort of Varys from Game of Thrones, but with hair. Okay, I, I'm on episode three of Game okay. of Thrones, so I'm, I'm, I'm 70 well, episodes a, behind him. He's everybody. a eunuch. A eunuch, okay. a eunuch oh, he's the bald guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, he's a eunuch. They're castrated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yes. there you go. That's the example I've been using to my children explaining about castratos. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he looks beautiful in Game of Thrones, actually, and he's he slightly does, corpulent. He does, he does um, yeah, and he's got that crimson... Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but castration was banned for musical purposes um, after the unification of Italy in 1861... 
1870 is the date that I've picked up that it was actually banned. So it may be... Oh, it may, okay. Unification was 1861, okay. yeah. And Pope Leo XIII, about whom you'll hear later... Um, Prohibited the hiring of a new castor, of new castrates in around the eighteen seventy eight. I've got eighteen eighteen eighty ish. So he was kind of phasing yeah. it out, wasn't he? Yeah. So I, and this is based on Wikipedia page. So, I, I, but the, the Wikipedia, Wikipedia page of Moreshi says that he became the first soprano at the the Sistine Chapel Choir, which which is mm. the, the the Pope's choir, eighteen eighty three. Ah. And and that there were when he joined, though interesting, there were six other castratos. And in fact, the musical director of the, of the choir, he was a castrato, and that they were the conservative wing of, of the Pope's music right. uh, makers. And they were believers in, strangely, there were so many of them were castratos, they believed in the castrato tradition, but they were against history. So uh, castration had been banned. Yeah. And then the, the Pope who had been supporting this, who was... You've just said his 90 name. 90-something, 92. Oh, Pope, Pope um, Leo yeah. the 13th. Leo the 13th, that's right. He dies the following year after these recordings. Yeah. And Pius X, who came in, and he ends the Castrato he ends tradition. It. So, so yeah. effectively, th- this recording in, in 1902 was the very, very end of, of, of the Castrato, wasn't it? I yeah. Mean, it was, and um, if, if he's the young guy, because he was the young guy on the block at age yeah. 43. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the end so of the tradition. So so let's paint. So Fred and and William get Geisberg, his brother. Yeah, they're in Italy. Yeah, and they, what do we know about their what we, they're doing there? Well, they they've got into this um, habit or this routine of going on recording tours and going to different cities around Britain, and then around Europe and then beyond Europe, um, looking to record local musical stars. And they are in. Madrid. They're over in Madrid, and they have been had their heads turned by a young tenor called Enrico Caruso. Is it Milan? Oh, Ma- Madrid. I'm, I always get Madrid I and Milan. No, we're in Milan. Madrid. We're in Italy. We're in Milan. Madrid's in space. They're in Italy. It's Milan. Thank goodness one of us is <laughs> compass mentors. Um, and they really want to sign him to make some recordings yeah. for the gramophone company. Because Caruso is going to... London that March we're in February now March 02 yeah 1902 um he's going to sing in Covent Garden and they want ideally to press these recordings by the time he arrives in London so they can coincide to flog them to it's, flog it's, them it's a 360 deal they're looking it's at a here it's a very early deal. 360 deal it is fantastic that everything that we do these days in the music was industry happening. was happening yeah. back then um ab- absolutely and he's being a little bit hard to get and they're in the middle of negotiations for a whether you do it and b more pertinently how much it's going to cost yeah. um and fred and will have got a week to spare and they also have an opportunity to go to rome and they're going there not only with the potential of recording the sistine chapel but there was another person that they were trying to get hold of they were trying to get the pope himself they i mean this is the wonderful th- talk about aiming high yeah, they thought. Let's start. Let, with the Pope. Let, let's try and get Leo the Thirteenth to speak into a recording machine, and apparently the connection was that. Actually, uh, just think about it. What a seller that would have been! All I those mean, Catholics. Can you believe it. Well, oh of course, God. you'd have flogged it everywhere around the world. It would have been an amazing. It's, yes, and, and, and great ambition. Yeah, because the industry hadn't taken off yet, at all. God, that's a real shame they didn't. That's that a massive shame. That would have been that would have been an iconic, well. wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, because one of the agents out in 
Italy was called William Michaelis. He was part of a... There were two brothers again. This there is were a story of two, two, sets, two, of two brothers. sets of brothers. Yeah. And Michaelis knew a member of the Swiss Guard yeah. in the which Vatican. Is the, which is, which the, is the, yeah, the funny looking soldier. Yes, exactly. It's and strange to think of neutral Switzerland had the hardest soldiers in the world. <laughs> and that's why the Pope got them. The Swiss Guard. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. I've, I've just read a book, C.J. Sampson, which is Tombland. Oh, yes, yes. Fantastic book. But the, it's about a revolt, a, sort of like the Peasants' Revolt. Quite not very well documented one. And it's put down by Swiss and German mercenaries hired by the king. Um, that would be very early 17th century. Okay. No, late 16th century. Early 17th. Early 17th. Oh, so I'm pedantic. A I'm, long I'm, time ago. That's my, ner- that's my a long time ago. <laughs> and... Um, Okay, and so yeah, the tr- tradition of tough soldiers. And so he knew one of the guys. He knew one of the guys, and this boat. person happened to be the Pope's nephew. Oh, so he had a word. He said, look, a tough man. Yeah. Um, we've got this crazy equipment. Can we record the fact? And apparently it very, it very nearly happened. Mm. And it didn't, but almost as a sop, I guess, they did get permission to record the choir of the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. Hence the Moreshi castration Because he was recording. the first soprano. Yes. Of the Sistine Chapel Choir. So we're in Rome, and they've got a bit of time to kill. They've got permission to do the... And there's this wonderful quote, isn't there, about how they... About, they, the, about the type of room they're given they a room in, They're given in, a room. And listen to this. The, the palace of the Bishop of Rome, which I guess is the Vatican. Yeah. So within the Vatican, um, they, were, they, they were given a great salon, um, a big room, covered with Titians, Raphaels, and Tintorettos, we mounted, he's always using the word grimy, we mounted our grimy machine right in the middle of the floor. This is brilliant. So a room full, full of literally three of the most famous artists ever, frankly. Just beautiful painting. And these two chances from... Invaluable. These, yeah. <laughs> these two chances from London, Americans turn up and um, with all this crazy stuff and go, yeah. right. With lots of chemicals, lots of chemicals and bell jars of acid and oh. and and horns, yeah, massive horns, all <laughs> dirty. <laughs> right, so you've got a palace with this sort of brown, blackened wood monstrosity of modern technology, um, and then they they record they record the Sistine Chapel choir, don't they? They a got number a, of times. eighteen usable sides, is how they put it. So eighteen songs, and they had two two sessions on the third and the fifth of April, nineteen o two. Um, and of the 18, four were solos by Mureshi. Mureshi, now, that's right. Technology. Are we going to try and play a We're little bit of this? This is um, Ave Maria. So that's Alessandro Moreschi. And it's kind of, 
I mean, it's incredibly impressive. It's quite kind of overwrought, isn't it? And yeah, those high notes, sweet. Uh, yes, and and, but something a little bit um, rich. And rich, and yes, and, and a little too rich, maybe. Sort of yeah. cloying, and not, I mean, not very beautiful, is it? It's sort no. of, it's more kind of impressive, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I read a little bit about. Well, there's a, the, the, if you go onto the interweb, there's loads of sort of people criticising these, um, or critiquing these uh, recordings. And he is in his mid-40s at this point. Mm. And, and there's a suggestion that he may be a little bit past his Over prime. Over his prime, yeah. right. Um, but it's, it is sort of ghostly and yeah. odd, and I can't get the and image so of... High. Yeah, so, get, just so yeah, ridiculous, so high. Just so ridiculous. But I can't get the image of that those poor little boys in their baths oh, having, dough, have, being yeah. heated up, ready yeah. to be... Yeah, I mean, asunder. it's... Yes. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lovely... Back to Fred's um, memoirs, he sort of describes the um, the, the recording sessions. Yeah. And, and there's, a, there's, there's a couple of things. One, um, they de- he describes Moreshi a little bit, or the conversation with Moreshi. And secondly, he describes an accident. Yeah, a little bit of a <laughs> mishap. So, so if I do the first bit. Yeah. So it says, the choir arrived and made record after record I particularly remember their rosy-cheeked conductor and solo soprano, Professor Moreshi, who was amazingly fresh and youthful, which talks to that, you know, hairless body, yes, red face. Yes, um, and boasted of a large family. Yeah, now that's a bit odd because... Which greatly interested me, said Fred. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly you can't have a family, can you, in that no, sense. No. Uh, so perhaps, yes, I mean, perhaps he, meant, he means he's got lots of siblings. Yeah. The illusion from Fred is that he's surprised. He's how can a castrato have a family? I think yes. that's how I read it. Anyway, yes, it odd. must be talking about. He comes from many siblings. Yes, he has he to. He must be. be. <laughs> he has to be. Do you, have you have you got the the bit there about, about what the happened next? Because yeah, that's really so that, that's really fascinating. And I think it just remember they're in the middle of this room for exactly. priceless pictures. So in you're the Vatican. Yes, you're in the Vatican, surrounded by just glorious art, and during the last session. Uh, an accident happened that Fred, quite sort of modestly, and he says, might have proven serious. So they were recording, and there's suddenly a, a short circuit from the battery in their recording machine ignited the cotton wool used in packing. Um, a flame shot up, and over and above the hysterical cries of the panic-stricken choristers, one heard the laments of the male sopranos. They rushed for the door where I saw them jam, so imagine all these all these choruses <laughs> trying to get out. Choristers. Um my brother and I and the two brothers Michaelis used our overcoats to beat down the flames and we worked desperately. Uh, Will Michaelis thoughtfully pulled the cases uh, of completed and packed masters out of the way. Well, it doesn't matter about the tin, the, the titians and the tintorettos yeah. as long as you actually you, prioritize you, your yeah, art. Prioritize all these your, wax masters. Your, yes. yeah. um, we all received burns, but the records were saved. And no very great damage was done to the salon or the masterpieces. I love that. No very great damage. Yes. And then the fire, the, the pompieri turned up with, with hoses and axes. That's the fire department. The fire department. Yeah, yeah. And seemed aggrieved that we'd mastered the flames without their aid. <laughs> and there's this wonderful little coda. Apparently, the news spread, didn't it? Yeah. So he's it's, it's finished this with Reuters cable the incident over the world, featuring two Americans involved in the destruction of the Vatican by fire. <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, um, and that was it. And, and there's not much left in in um, Fred's diaries of, uh, of, of of Rome. They they return back with their wax discs to um, 
Hammond. To Milan. Uh, sorry, to Milan, yes. Yeah. And they, and they continue pursuing Caruso, Caruso and they managed to record him. Who was the kind of grand beast. But on the way, my God, these, these Castrato recordings, they're extraordinary, aren't they? Yeah. What a story. I mean, a, the tradition of castrating boys to sing is, is, mm. is surprising, gobsmacking, hideous from yeah, this I'm point of view. Uh, yeah. yeah. But secondly, that you know, they managed to capture one before the tradition died out. Yeah. And it, it's as exotic, you know, Fred goes off and records people in the Caucasus and, and in the the East and in Russia and, and, and before traditions die out. But this this is, in sophisticated Rome, yeah. this is yeah. one of those outliers that, that, that um, it was just amazing that he got them. It's a bit of history, isn't it? Yeah. And well done for not um, fainting. No, I made it to the end. <laughs> I think that's us done on this that's subject. Yep. Cheers. Bye. This is the sound of the hound. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of The Sound of the Hound. If you'd like to see the show notes, which contain links to some of the things we've been talking about in this episode, please go to thesoundofthehound.com. Select podcasts when you're there, and you'll find a page of notes for this episode. Sound of the Hound is a podcast from the EMI Archive Trust. Many of the recordings and artefacts we talk about in this series of podcasts are housed by the Trust. If you'd like to know more about the EMI Archive Trust, go to emiarchivetrust.org and if you enjoyed the podcast please take the time to leave us a review on Apple, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast that would be much appreciated thank you